Welcome back to Unleashed. And man, I am so excited about today's podcast. It's been like bubbling up inside of me, watching God do some things uh, in the last 24 to 48 hours. And we actually came in and recorded a podcast two days ago that we were going to be releasing like we do on Mondays. And I was done with it. And, and Eric, I got a hold of you and I said, man, I just, I'm not, I'm not certain on that podcast. And you said, yeah, I wasn't either. I yep. think we should redo it. And it happens, man. This is stuff's going to happen. And you know, that's what I love about Eric, you know, being honest and be able to say, man, would you redo that? And he was like, yeah, I think I would. And it's worth it. You guys are worth it. So, well, man, we got a question for today. Well, kind of. <laughs> so it, it was more just like general office chit chat. So people were talking about Thanksgiving and, and when was the first Thanksgiving and what was oh, served yeah. and stuff like that. So, uh, I've got the first Thanksgiving as uh, being in 1621. That was a long yeah, time ago. That was a little before my time. A little bit. A little before my time, yeah. That would have been between the, uh, was it the Wamapogue people and the uh, the Pilgrims. Oh, and yeah. on the menu, it's weird that it specifically says freshly killed deer. <laughs> well, I mean, you think about the way they are able to store things back then. What, do they just salt it or something? Well, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Like, have you ever watched that TV show Alone? Yeah. How they cure it, they smoke it, there's how they store it in different ways, you know, and there's pretty pretty amazing stuff. I mean, I when you, you think back about even, like, the guys going west, you know, the settlers and things, what they had to survive in with, with the kind of boots they had, the kind of coats or gloves or, you know, had to be able to make fires. You think about these people going on this Alone television show, and if you guys haven't seen that, it's it's really cool. I mean, they, they drop off, I don't know, like 10 people or something, and, They've got to survive for like three months out there and they can, they're given like maybe 10 items and they have to pick 10 items and they have to live. I mean, and, and it's way up in the, in the Northwest where the temperatures are getting colder and colder. Eventually it's going to get to like 40 below zero, but man, they're given these, these ways to survive. And you think, how could they ever do it? Well, that's what the settlers and I mean, the pilgrims, the Indians, they all had to do that. And to speak to the uh, other eighties babies out there, the game Oregon trail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've all played Oregon trails. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. So we had, we had freshly killed deer, assorted wild fowl. Ooh, Chick-fil-A. See, that's what they would be saying today. They, they had Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, cod, bass, and then the native variety of, uh, corn harvested by the native American eaten as cornbread and porridge. And would that have been maize? I guess that would, I don't know if that's, I don't know. I think that's what that is. Sure. Well, that shows you my depth of knowledge there. You know what? We were talking earlier about, you know, today, like what kind of story are we going to throw up here for you guys? Because we always go from the wilds and then we go back to the home front to kind of see how we can learn from the situations from the wild, how they can apply to us. And I had just, it was just last week, I think I talked about, I had just come back from Alaska. So, you know, I sat around and I said, God, what do you want to do this week? And he's like, man, let's go, let's go back. God goes, yeah, man, let's go back to Alaska. I'm like, well, you made it. That works for me. Um, Alaska is just like no place on earth. I think I've been in 32 or 33 countries around the world, and there's some really neat places. And that's, you know, just because of being able to travel and do some of the stuff, you know, in ministry and music. But one of my favorite locations is where we're going to start today. Um, and it's, there's a little town called Nanilchik um, on the Kenai Peninsula as you're headed down towards Homer. And as you get to this, there's a, a creek that flows, you know, out into to Cook Inlet right there. It's called Deep Creek. And 
Deep Creek, you know, when the, when the tide comes in, you've got this, this bore tide. Now, here's the thing about Cook Inlet. It's like 30 miles wide, 100 miles long. And every 12 hours, you have a 35-foot difference in the depth of the water. I mean, it's crazy. Um, I mean, Captain James Cook, if you want to know what Cook Inlet was named after, it was Captain, sounds like James Kirk. It's like Star Trek, but he was uh, looking for the northwest pa- north. Okay, well, it's hard to say northwest passage back in seventeen seventy eight, and I don't think it was named after him until sometime like in the seventeen nineties. But there's a spot when you get up into Cook Inlet, and it's called Turnigan Arm. Well, it's Turn Again, Turn Again, Turn Again Arm, and here's how it got its name. When he was looking for the northwest passage, they would get all the way up, you know, toward the end of this thing. And because he's trying to find out where the fresh water would flow into the salt water so that they could find a way all the way across, you know, the northern part of North America. Well, of course, they never found it because it, it didn't exist like that. But he was looking for this. So he sent one day, he sent like a, a rowboat, you know, up into this um, turning in arm area. And the guys almost all drowned because of this boral tide coming in. When this board tide comes in, it's it's like a huge wave at the ocean. It's 10 feet tall, um, you know, just huge wide thing of water coming in and uh they they almost drown and that that water is cold cold i don't know what it is i think it's probably in the upper 30s most of the time but it's really really cold water they even have guys that'll come up from like california and different places when this bore tide is coming in from the ocean and going up through cook inlet they uh they'll try to surf it i mean and and some guys do it's pretty cool but this area that i'm talking about is down from the Nilchik, down over the, the, there's a big road that goes down over the hill, goes down to Deep Creek. And the area down here is known for something else. Besides great fishing, we always go out in the Zodiac out there and go fishing out in the open ocean, along with a, other, a lot of other fishing boats. And it's really cool because they have like big log skitters that are down there. And when these guys bring their big boats down, they kind of load them up and they, they put them in the water. But this area um, is known for great clamming. When you get the tide going out so far, um, you have to look at your minus tide charts to see when it's going to be going out far. It exposes where a lot of these these clams are. And what's so cool, I've spent so many nights there in a tent. And as I look, you know, 35 miles across or whatever, it's further than that. But I'll see um, Mount Redoubt. I mean, it's over there. It's a huge volcano. You can see Mount Iliamna and Augustine. And I mean, it's just the coolest place to camp in the world. I mean, there's there's no view like this anywhere. But the clamming that we would do down there, you know, we'd take our, our bucket and shovel and everything, and we would be digging clams. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But my buddy Wade, and you've heard me talk about him, um, he when he lived up there, he lived up in Girdwood, just up the, the road a few hours. Well, he, For a while, he was living with a police officer when they were young, hadn't been married yet. And there's a place up there along when the tide goes out, they call them mud flats. And a lot of people will try to go out onto this, this mud flat area when the tide goes out thinking that they can get out there. Maybe they're looking for clams or whatever. And one night his, uh, his roommate, the police officer, got called out. And it was um, when, when the tide had gone out and it was getting ready to come back in. And there was a woman and her husband. They had gone out there. They were looking for clams. And she got a little bit too far out and got stuck in the mud. Well, she kept sinking. And so the police officer, the rescue crews, everybody's coming. Well, she's so deep in this muck, this mud, they can't get her out because of the suction. You guys, you know, you've seen this like sticking a flute and peanut butter or something. I mean, it was just, she's stuck. And they're trying everything they could do to get her out. 
and the tide's coming in, and it's literally swallowing her whole. And it got so bad, they were literally having like a little, uh, little tiny, uh, not a straw, but some kind of a little hose to try to keep breathing oxygen into her as they were trying to get her out. And it's tragic. She, she lost her life. And so through that situation, they, they realized they had to come up with something in case this happens. And the reason they couldn't keep the oxygen going in her is because when that water is that cold, like we just talked about a minute ago, eventually you shut down, you get hypothermia, and you can't control your body anymore. So they, they created something where they can come in now, and there's signs everywhere warning you, do not go out here. But they have these, these pressurized you know, um, air tanks, and they can go out there and they can put these things down around your, your hips, your, wherever you are, your legs, and blow this air to blow that, that muck and everything away so they can get you out of there. So it's a, it's a really dangerous situation. But whenever you have, you know, obviously dangerous situations, the gift is that you learn something new to save other people's lives or to help you make better choices next time. So, you know, that was, I remember him telling me that story for the first time. And there's, there's more to the story, you know, that I don't need to go into, but it was just just tragic. But, you know, the whole thing with, with Captain Cook realizing that his tides in this area, you know, weren't going to change at all, um, nor was the fresh water that he had hoped he was going to find, you know, in the salt water coming down there. Um, if those weren't going to change, he had to change. He had to quit doing what he was doing. It's, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. Yeah. And that's kind of what it was. He kept trying to do the same thing, and he was eventually going to be losing his men, so he, he quit trying to do the same thing over and over. But he had to change. The circumstance wasn't going to. So when we begin to move into this, this story, this into the wilds thing today, I've kind of described what the area looks like, you know, across from these, these volcanoes, and some of them are still smoking. It's pretty crazy. But at this location down where Deep Creek is, there's a, this, where the creek flows out into the, um, this little area that goes out into Cook Inlet. One day, um, there was a guy there, and he had this souped-up four-wheel drive. He was from Lower 48, didn't know the area, didn't know how bad these tides were coming in. Because when the tides come in, Deep Creek floods. I mean, that's when it gets real deep in the salmon and make the runs upstream. So you want to be there when that's happening. But he was there when the tide had been down. And as he's trying to prove to his buddies how bad his four-wheeler was, he gets down in the in Deep Creek, and he's trying to go across and get up the other side, and he gets out in the middle, and he gets stuck. Well, he gets out of the truck, and his he and his buddies hitch a ride back to Nanilchuk, I think it was, and uh, the tide's starting to come in. Well, they're taking their time. They didn't get someone to come help them right in a hurry. And when he got back there, the tide had already come in, and the truck had disappeared, and the only thing that was showing was a— uh, a buoy that a local fisherman had tied onto it so they could find their truck when they got back. It's nuts. But this location, um, we would, like I said, we would pitch our tents there and we would camp out. And my friend Wade had been mentored by an Athabascan Indian for a long time. And so he would teach me a lot about, you know, survival in the outdoors. And one of the things that's really cool about, um, Alaska, especially along this this part, is they have something called razor clams. We were talking about the first Thanksgiving giving and having food. One of the things that we love to do, and he taught me how, was to locate um, these razor clams when the tide goes out. And so what you do is you take a bucket and you've got a, a like a shovel, a little, little clam shovel. It's kind of a narrow, long-handled uh, and long-tipped shovel. And when the, when the water goes out, you get down and you look in the sand and you look where it looks like you just took your finger and just touched the sand. It's about that size. You don't push it in hard. You just kind of touch it. You look for those little divots. That's where you will find your clams. 
So what a clam does in this instance is it'll take that, that foot, and you know what I'm talking about, that comes out the end of the shell, and they dig down in the sand. They can, they can literally um, suck the sand through and siphon it out the other end. So you're looking for those little dots because that's where the clams are. And as soon as you find one, you, you don't step on right on that area because as soon as they feel the pressure, they extend that, that foot out of the end and they can pump blood into it and they can dig so fast you can't believe how deep they can go into sand that you have to use a shovel to get down in there with. So you start digging this thing as fast as you can and you pull them out and they can get down, you know, two feet or whatever, and, but you've got to work fast. So as soon as you locate what it is that you're wanting, these clams, you've got to work hard, you've got to work fast in order to get them out or you're going to lose it. So we had been... Um, you know, clamming and, and we got kind of done with everything. We had decided to go ahead and take the Zodiac and go on out and do a little bit of halibut fishing with where the tide was. And we were out there for hours. We had been out five, six miles and catching some, uh, some halibut. And as we are coming back, a storm had been brewing. That's why we decided we need to get out of here before the tide starts really ripping here. Well, we didn't quite make it because the, the clouds are rolling in across uh, Mount Redoubt from across the, uh, the inlet there and by the time we're getting close to shore, I'm saying maybe a half mile from shore, we're, you know, we've got these three-foot rollers, you know, kind of thing that are just going nuts. And that might not sound like much, but when you're in a Zodiac, um, it was about a 14-and-a-half, 15-foot Hypalon Zodiac with a 25-horse Yamaha, and you're trying to fight these riptides that are going through there, I mean, it's a struggle. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get back to where the mouth of Deep Creek opens up so we can scoot up in there quick and get out of this storm. But here's the deal. There's a delta that sticks out maybe, I don't know, an eighth of a mile offshore, approximately something like that. And it's sand that's just below the surface of the water. You know, it's like a foot below and you can't see it when all these rollers are going. So we're coming in and now, I mean, we're up on the top of one wave and we're bouncing down into the trough of the next one and the gear is going up in the air and it's slamming down. And we're frantically trying to get out of this storm. Well, we're flying, trying to get up as fast as we can, like trying to angle it with these waves. And we hit that delta. And I mean, the boat stops right now. Um, we were bottomed out. You know, that prop and everything just digs into the sand. We're stuck. And now these waves are smashing over the back of this Zodiac. And there's so much water in there. Well, I just squealed my tongue there. So much water. There's so much in the Zodiac that everything is floating like on the top. And I'm going, man, this is not a good thing here. So we realize we can't get out of the boat and try to, you know, run to shore to get out of this thing because it's too far. And on the other side of that delta, before you get to shore, it can get deep again. Well, you know, cold water temperatures, hypothermia, you're not going to last more than 30 minutes. We get out of the boat realizing we have to turn this boat around and go back into the storm and go up way up past the end of the delta to get away and to make it to shore. So we had to go back into the storm, which... You know, when you, when you think about it, it's kind of crazy because your flesh goes, no, we got to push forward in this thing, right? We got to keep moving forward. But the truth was, if you wanted to get out of that, um, you had to go back into the storm and find the right way, which means pushing into your fears. Um, you know, Eric, I was just thinking about this. Um, God has a way when the storms are coming to remind us that he is the calm even when the storm is raging, um, you know, this being Christmas season coming up, uh, you know, being in, in ministry and doing a lot of things like that, you know, I'm, I'm on a, I'm not on a minister salary because I don't have a salary from a church. I'm in, in itinerant ministry um, and speaking, but when the situations come up like Christmas time, and this is my slowest time of the year, you know, fear, worry, anxiety can begin to happen. 
And so you've heard people say before, you know, you just need to let go and let God. Well, those words sound really pretty, right? But I can't tell you how many times, you know, um, I've sat down and thought about that. And what does that even mean um, to let go and let God? So where we're going to be heading with this uh, is going to be an interesting thing because I think there's a lot of you out there that have felt that same thing. You know, how do I just let go and let God? So Stacy and I were talking going, okay, we got November, December. How are we going to, you know, financially, you know, meet the needs of everything we're going to have with this? And I didn't say let go and let God to her because I know that that wouldn't be the right way to be able to approach it. But I was just saying, you know what, I'm going to trust God with this and I'm going to give it to him. And God kept telling me, to, Brent, you got to get out of the way. Let me do it. You don't have to try to fix this. That's hard. And I think a lot of you know that because it's like we're fixers, especially men. We see a need, we're going we're gonna to take care of it and fix it. But God was saying to me, you know what, for you to push through it and do everything you can you know, to make the money, that's all about you. And he was calling me to allow it to be him. He will take care of the storm. He was calling me to trust him. Even when the water is crashing over me of all this stuff, this fear and anxiety, and with my wife as well, he was saying, do you trust me? Just like the bear story I talked about that one day, the three paths. If you've listened to the episode, you know what I'm talking about, where God kept saying, do you trust me? And then he would challenge me to go the way he was telling me to go. Well, this was exactly like that. We're going to go back into the storm with this. God, what does that even look like? How do I let go and let God in, in this storm? So the phone rings the other day. And, you know, you got all this stuff, you know, these worries and anxiety around money, and you're, you're doing your best to give it to God, and it's the bank. And the bank says, hey, we had a check come in um, from this church in Alaska where you had spoken recently, and it's not going through. It's not clearing for some weird reason, so we're going to have to pull that money out of your account. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what do you do with this? And I heard God say again, you know, you're going to trust me with this. What ended up being it was a mistake with the bank and all those things. But the attacks of the enemy, he wants to make that storm look so intimidating that you are the one who's going to try to fix it rather than saying, God, I'm going to follow your lead. Now, I'm not called to leave it in neutral. When he tells me to move, I got to move. But in this case, you know, I, I go ahead and I call the church and they say, no, it wasn't on our end. We're not sure what's happening here, but we're going to trust God with this too and just let us know what's going on. Well, it got resolved. But here's the cool thing. Pastor calls me back up on the phone. And I knew that my wife's anxiety was going to be high, as was mine. And the pastor says to me, he goes, hey, we just did a review of the, with the men's event that you just did up here. And, man, the guys just loved it. Uh, they love the outdoor stuff, mixing it with the truth. And they want you to come back in January of 2025. But here's the deal. The women want your wife to come back and speak to the ladies about her story and faith and trust. That, for her, would literally be like going right back into the storm because of the way the enemy has really, you know, tyrannized her in her own life, you know, trying to cause her not to trust God. But she has stuck in there. She has weathered the storm. And so it was one of those deals where God's saying, you know what, I'm going to use these storms um, for my glory, and I'm going to see people's lives change because of that. You know, that whole purpose thing we talk about sometimes. But, you know, when with Christmas being right around the corner, I think it's difficult for many of us because we have hit that delta. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's, you know, seasonal sadness. You know, that can be brought on by a lot, of, a lot of stuff with the holidays. But what is it that God is wanting you to see right now to help you make it through the storm, to trust him? And that's tough. So 
I'm going to tell you just a couple little stories. We're going to go from the wilds, and we're going to go back um, to the home front here. And I just want to tell you something that's happened just in the last three days that was so powerful that I have to share it because it was God showing up. So as I was telling you about, you know, the whole, you know, the finance thing and, man, holding on tight or trying to fix it or what can I sell to, you know, to bring in the income, all these things. Saturday morning, um, my wife and I, Stacy and I, had, had planned on going down to the Indianapolis State Fairgrounds because they were going to have this Christmas, like, arts and craft show going on. And as we're even getting ready in the morning to go, I'm sitting in the chair and I'm kind of looking at my phone and she's like, babe, she goes, I just, I think we need to maybe be careful. And I wasn't feeling that. I was like, it's not going to cost that much. We need date time. We need to get out and do this stuff. So I just said, God, this is yours. And so I'm looking on my phone and I see a post from my niece who lives back in Pennsylvania, Tara. And I see this post where she's, it's it's a post that was made by, uh, um, was a, it was a story shared from Catherine Hepburn years ago. And this is so cool. So Catherine Hepburn was going to the circus when she was a kid with her dad. And as they're walking up to the ticket counter, there was a man and his wife holding hands. And the, the wife was looking up at the husband and just, you know, he felt like the knight in shining armor because they have eight kids and they're all dressed ready for the circus. And he was so proud. He'd worked hard to get them to this place. And as they're all being quiet and nice and everything in this family, believe it or not, he goes to step up to pay, and, and he goes to pay, and she says, sir, that's not enough money. Well, that's all he had. And Catherine Hepburn talks about her dad hearing this conversation and seeing the disappointment on the wife and the children, and the father's head just went down. And so her father had a $20 bill, and he drops it by the man's foot, and he taps the man on the shoulder in front of him. He says, sir, I think you just lost a $20 bill out of your pocket. Well, of course, the man knew what he had done. And he turned around, picked up the $20, quietly thanked him, turned around, paid for the tickets, and the kids went in. And Catherine Hepburn talks about at that point, she and her dad turned around to leave because that was all they had. That was their money to get into there. So you can see, and she says, you know what, that was one of the best days of our lives because we really did share in that moment that that giving is so much better than receiving. So Stacy and I, um, Get ready. We go down to Indianapolis. Still not sure. She's still not sure if we should be doing this or not. And I said, you know what? Let's just trust God with this. We, and she didn't know this post that I was, I just told you the story about. So we get inside the main building. We walk up. I get out. And I usually use my debit card for everything because I don't like using a credit card. But I thought, you know what? This one time, it's like 20 bucks. I'm going to do it so it'll help her not worry about what's in our account kind of a thing. And as I pull out my uh, credit card, Right when I go to hand it to the lady, you know, handing out the tickets and taking payment, there's a woman off to my left, and she taps Stacy on the shoulder. And I turn around, and she said, um, are you guys buying tickets? And we said, yeah. She says, here, I got two tickets. <laughs> and so I'm like, this was just like the story I read. So we go through the main doors, and before we can go anywhere, I stop Stacy and I said, babe, I got to tell you what I just read on Facebook, this post that my niece had put up. And what just happened? Because sometimes, you know, you have those moments. Does God really know our needs? Is he really, you know, hearing, you know, my heart and everything that's going on? So I told her this story. And it's one of those things where, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to, um, I don't want to be the knight in shining armor, but yet I kind of do, but I want it to be God because he's the one that made all this happen. Because I think it's with all of us. We want to see someone else's faith and trust increase because it increased mine. So I don't know if you get hit with this this same kind of stuff um, 
you know, we being in ministry, I'm just telling you, you come under attacks that you really can't believe some days. I mean, when I'm coming in here to Eric, we'll be talking. I'm like, dude, you know, the washer broke. It put three holes in the wall when the thing broke. You know, the water came down through the ceiling. We had a toilet flood. Um, you know, my lawnmower quit today. It's going to be X amount. It just seems like it happens a lot more when you're really doing damage, damage against the enemy because he knows where those spots are where he can cause that storm to happen. And he knows you're going to be tempted to bottom out like we did coming up on those on that beach. And the, the temptation is you're going to want to try to force it and keep going forward rather than walking back into where that attack came from and allowing God to be the one to take you to a safe harbor. So what I decided to kind of do this morning is I wanted to just, um, you know, as we're doing this podcast, I wanted to kind of share with you a little bit. You know, when you're digging for clams, um, like I said, when you discover where it is, you have to go hard and fast. You've got to get down in there and get that clam out quickly, but you have to know how to locate them and how to pull them out or they're going to be gone. It's the same thing when the enemy is hitting us with attacks. You have to look at it in that moment and be able to judge, is this really an attack? You know, is this causing me a lot of unhealthy emotions like anxiety, frustration, worry, doubt, fear, shame, jealousy, whatever it is? Because we know from the Bible, that those are the things of the deeds of the flesh. So when we're having an unhealthy thought, you will have emotions that will happen like that. But most of us were never taught, you know, where do we, where do we go to try to pull up those truths, those promises of God, so that when we do hit the storm, we have those, those tools in front of us to help us renew our mind that say you can trust God because it's the renewing of our mind with God's promises that changes us. So what I wanted to do was put together just a couple of verses that maybe this holiday season, you know, we're coming into Thanksgiving and Christmas season here. So let me just kind of um, put a couple of things out there. You know, Jesus said that, you know, if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, he says, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. And when the swollen river, you know, comes crashing in, that house is going to collapse, you know, like a house of cards. And our temptation is to try to get out of the storm on our own strength as fast as we can. But what ends up happening is we get stuck just like we did off that delta or that woman did when she was trying to you know, dig clams in the wrong place. We have to go to the right place um, and look up those promises. So let me give you a couple here. Um, Philippians 4.19, uh, this is out of the ESV, and it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to, the, to his riches in in glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply every need. How many is every? It's every, right? Look at Matthew 6, 31 and 32. It says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Um, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Again, remember, what, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? If you're listening to this, you've been able to have food and water. You know, chances are you've been able to listen to this because you've got exactly what you need to be able to to listen to this podcast. Those are the blessings of God, and we're called to give thanks, you know, in all things. So God created the universe, you know, and he, he's given us every living thing. He's given us relationship with each other. The same God who provides that food for the animals promises that he will not allow us to go without. Let me give you, let me just give you maybe one more here. Consider the ravens. This is Luke 12, 24 to 26. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than those birds? Who of you can 
Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So I told you about the um, Indiana State Fairground. And I just want to kind of tell you one more thing because you're kind of going, well, you know, God meets us sometimes in those little things like that. Well, right when we needed it, my phone rang. And I got a phone call from a guy who says, you know what, I've been trying to order books, but they didn't have enough on Amazon. Do you have 40 books that I could buy from you? I'm like, yeah. And I'm, I'm turning to Stacy. I said, can you believe this? I mean, you know, God covered those tickets, and then he just goes, how many more fold? And, and blesses us with that. So we're sitting at dinner last night, and Stacy was telling me about this pool they were having at the hospital where she works that they've been kind of taking that they were, you know, collecting money, and they were going to bless someone at Christmas time. It was about 500 bucks. And we're sitting at dinner, and she says, do you think God cares about, you know, even these small needs that we're having right now, like with these financial things to get through? I said, I know he does. She goes, well, what, what do you think the odds are? Maybe him letting us win that. And I, we both laughed. And I said, I don't think God cares about odds. I think the one who made Mount Redoubt that I'm camped across from, you know, in this story can do whatever he wants to do. So what was really funny, so that was, that was last night, okay? So this morning, I'm sitting here working on this podcast, and I'm basically wrapping it up with how I'm going to end it with the, tar- the, the, the fair tickets and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, I get a message from her. And all it says was, I won, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And I, I started to laugh because when she said that last night, what she doesn't know is quietly, I sat there and prayed, God, I really want to see in the middle of this storm, I want to see you glorified. And I don't care how you do it, but if you wanted to do it through this, you know, prize, that would be okay too. I kind of laughed to myself and I started to laugh because it's an intimate, personal God who knew the prayer, I'd even talk to him. And it was like he was saying, I'm going to create the best Hallmark movie you have ever seen and show you that I am the God of everything. So if you're wondering, you know, if God really does care, um, you know, even about the smallest thing like I just talked about, yeah, he does. I want to encourage you to keep watching for his gifts. And I don't want you to miss the ones that we can so easily miss on a daily basis. Uh, Whether it be your home, your car, food, heat, air conditioning, a conversation with someone where you get to pour into them, or maybe it's meeting someone else's needs, especially at this holiday season. So I pray for you guys and for all of us that this Thanksgiving in this holiday season is as a time when we can come alongside those who are in need. And don't worry so much about the gift, but other than the gift of love and grace and kindness that Jesus gives to us every single day. And be sure to give him the praise amidst the storm because he's worthy. Love you guys. We'll see you next time.